0: homes marriage we want to make our marriage match the standards that the lord has established for us in his word and when our marriages are leveled up we will get to experience a taste of heaven on earth and the world will be able to see what it is like to be a member of the body of christ and that the bo- the bride of christ is also being displayed as an indication of the unity that exists between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. Now, let me read to you. Would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God? Stand with me right now as we go into the Word. Beginning in verses 4 through 6, that's going to be our focus today in Matthew's chapter 21. Have you not read, Jesus replied, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. Let's go before the Lord and pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, We thank you that you are here. We thank you for the privilege of being able to stand and to proclaim your word to your people. God, your word will change us from the inside out. God, it is our desire to encounter you. And so, God, we are entering into your presence through prayer. God, we know that if we could just get into your presence that we will not be the same. Heavenly Father, I'm praying that you would remove any distraction, that you would turn our attention fully to what you have to say to us today, because we are asking this in the powerful name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Reach out to someone. This is going to be a powerful word, and this is going to bless your family, not just for the present, but it has the power of blessing your family for generations. In 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr., the son of the former president John Kennedy, died when his Piper Saratoga light aircraft that he was piloting crashed in the Atlantic Ocean on the coast of Martha's Vineyard. His wife, Caroline Bessette, and sister-in-law Lauren Bessette also were killed in that tragic accident. The National Transportation of Safety ruled that the crash was caused by the pilot's failure to main control of the airplane during a descent over water at night, which was a result of spatial disorientation. Pilots are taught that when they are flying at night and you cannot see the shoreline, don't trust your senses because you experience spatial disorientation or you can. And the result is you will think that you're ascending when you're actually descending and you will think that you are descending when you're actually ascending. And so, John Kennedy Jr. became disoriented instead of depending on the the panel that provided instructions, he trusted his senses, and as a result, he died. If he had followed the, the instrument panel that provided the instructions for how to navigate at night when there's no shoreline that's visible. John Kennedy Jr., his wife and sister-in-law, would probably be alive today. For Christians, our instrument panel is the Word of God, instructions for living that prepare us not only to go to heaven, but the Word of God prepares us to live in the world in our marital situations. And so, if we are going to have, as we began on last Sunday, to have a successful God pleasing marriage, we must follow God's instructions. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 12, Jesus gives in verses 4 through 6, at least seven specific instructions that will guarantee. If two people obey, A marriage that not only is successful, but as I've already said, is God-honoring. Listen to words that Jesus utters, and I've already read them, but I'm going to read them again. And he answered and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them both male and female? And for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer Two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, on last Sunday, we looked at at least three of these seven instructions given by Christ when he responded to the religious leaders who attempted to trap him. He gave them three specific instructions. And the first was, in order to have a successful marriage based on God's original design, We must build our marriages biblically. Build your marriage biblically. Secondly, we learn that we must understand that God created us, and therefore we find our purpose for life in him. God created us. The Bible says in the beginning he created them, he created us. Jesus said regarding uh, building our marriages on purpose, Or biblically, he said, have you not read? And then the third thing we learned was "Except that God determines your gender before you were formed in your mother's womb. Marriage, therefore, is a union between a man and a woman based on God, the creator's definition of what maleness and femaleness is. And so God created us, and we find our purpose in him, we must build our marriages biblically, and we must accept that it is God who determines our gender before we were even formed in our mother's womb. Now, the fourth thing that we want to look at, and we got a lot to unpack here. Now, you need to write these things down. I'm going to try to just give you the principles, but this is going to bless your marriage. The fourth thing is that, what, that we need to do is to make your relationship with your wife your priority, your priority. The scripture says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. Now, the key phrase there in that statement that the Lord makes, he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother is the word or the phrase, uh, uh, ma- a man will leave. And the word leave actually means to forsake your parents in terms of a transfer in your relationship. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me drill down on that a little bit. It literally means that a man, in order to properly start and sustain his marriage, must forsake his parents in the sense of transferring his loyalty from them to his wife. It's a transfer of loyalty. You don't disrespect your parents. You're not hating on your parents. But once a man makes a decision to be married, his priority relationship is no longer his parents, but his wife. Your wife, husband, becomes your first and most important ministry. Now, there are at least three Aspects connected to this instruction for this reason, a man shall forsake his parents. Now, I want to that I want to consider with you, but as we are doing that, I want you to understand something the landscape of marriage in my lifetime has completely been altered, and so, brothers, when you are considering. Settling down and being married, you need to understand, I actually heard someone say this, that in the era of digital instruction, the only reason that someone would be ignorant about the things that they need to know is that they choose to be ignorant. Ignorance is a choice. Now, you need to be informed before you make this lifetime commitment. Now, years ago, the the landscape of marriage was like this. A, A mother would say to her daughter, You need to find a man with a good job and marry him. Now, it didn't matter if he was a good man. What mattered most was that he had a good job and that the woman who found the man who had a good job was supposed to stay in that marriage no matter what. Now, the reason behind that is 66 years ago and prior, Women primarily worked from home. They did not have careers outside of the home, and so their financial security depended upon the man who often was the single and only breadwinner. Those days are gone. Let me say that again. Those days are gone. Most women by choice, in, in many instances, have their own personal careers outside of the home, and therefore, single women don't necessarily need a man for financial security. That would not be a good reason or a reason why a woman would marry a man today in the same way that they would have married a man in the past. Many single women earn more than the average man that they plan to marry, especially if that man happens to be African American. There are far more females who are college educated than there are African American males who are educated. Therefore, you may find yourself getting married to a woman who not only has more financial resources than you, but she may live in a much better situation than you, drive a far better car than you, and so the idea that you're somehow uh, going to enter into her situation and she will marry you because she can't make it without you, that is not the way it rolls these days. And so a man who doesn't have an understanding of what it means to forsake his parents' to go to be with his own wife in terms of what the Bible teaches will find himself in in a difficult place, especially if there's disagreement about who gets to make the decisions. Is the decision maker the one who makes the most money? Is the decision maker in marriage the one who has the the, the best job or the uh, the best education? Or is there another principle in the scripture that we should base? how decisions are ultimately made in the, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the context of marriage. Now, although all that, that I've just said is true, God's instruction for men that plan to get married has not changed. God's instruction, when he says, for this reason a man should forsake his parents to be with his own wife, that command has not changed. What God requires of you as a man, as a priority in marriage, is that before you get married, no matter what the woman you marry already has, you better have your own. And you need to be in a position with whatever that which is your own happens to be, is enough to take care of that woman that you plan. To call your wife and those children that may come your way if God blesses the union in such a way. Now, I want to look at uh, four things particularly that are involved with this whole concept of forsaking your parents in order to make your wife your priority ministry. The first portion of that unpacking that is what happens when a man gets married? God has determined that you become your wife's provider. The man is God's designated provider for the, for the marriage. And the reason I, I say that is because when God gave Adam to Eve, or Eve to Adam, before there was a, re, a relationship called marriage, the first thing God did was gave Adam a place to live. Adam had a place. Before he got married to Eve to bring his bride to. Adam wasn't homeless. Adam wasn't panhandling. The other thing that was true of Adam was Adam had a job. He had a job. God gave him the responsibility of cultivating the garden. And so before you marry a man or before a man can officially properly, biblically forsake his parents, you got to get out of your parents' pocket. And the way you get out of your parents' pocket is, one, you need to have your own pad, your own residence, and be in a position financially to take care of your wife. The woman you marry may make more than you, have more assets, but you have but but you must have your own, you must have your own prior to marriage. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Help me, Lord. You must be in a position, as I've already said, to take care of your wife and your family. Now, that is your primary responsibility as a man, to be the provider. Now, here's how this might work. You meet someone, single woman, godly woman, love Jesus, walk in and, in in, in obedience to the Lord, mature in her walk, and she lives somewhere in the suburbs, the top of the hill, driving the best of cars, and her quality of life is just off the chart, and you live in a hood in an apartment, but you do have an apartment, you do have a spot, you do have a job, but she earns more than you and lives in a safer neighborhood. Now, Should that mean that she should move to the hood with you? If she wants to be married to you and you choose not to move, then she should move with you. But what you have in that context is you all, you, you've already lined up with the expectation of God. You have your own, you have a job, but the option is your wife lives somewhere else and you can choose as a couple to live where she already lives or you can choose to uh, uh, liquidate your assets and move into a different spot. But the important thing is before you get married to someone, you need to have a place for that woman, that wife, to come to, and you need to be able to provide for her. Now, uh, one of the things that a woman should be very careful about when you decide to get married, you need to observe how that brother handles money. You, 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 need, to, you need to see it, the boy has a bank account. There are a lot of men who don't even have bank accounts. Their credit's so bad they can't even open up a bank account. How does he manage money? Uh, and, and 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 another thing that you a brother who is the provider of his home, what this doesn't mean is that God, what it means is that God expects for you to manage the financial material resources of your home. But one of the best decisions that you may need to make in that context is to let your wife handle the money and the resources because she's better at it than you. And so being the provider doesn't mean that you make every decision, that you're managing the accounts. No, it may mean that in your marriage, the best person to handle how finances are handled is your wife. And so uh, another thing uh, in terms of women who are considering getting married, don't get desperate. Have some standards. Uh, One of the standards is how does this man manage his money? The Bible says wherever a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is going to be. And and one of the indicators of how a man handles his treasures is does the brother tithe? Don't marry a non-tithing professing Christian. Because what he's going to do is teach you as a wife how to steal from God. And so you want to see, is this, is this brother sowing into the kingdom of God financially? Is he operating in obedience? Because failing to tithe is a sin. And so first thing, brothers, when we, when we talk about forsaking our parents, leaving to cleave, and it says the brother is to do this, the first thing that in, 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 in encapsulates is that you are the provider, primary provider. If your wife decided tomorrow... To leave her million-dollar job, it is your obligation to take care of her. That is your first responsibility to be her provider. Now, that may mean a lot of things, so she might want to consider, if I leave this job, here's what this will mean. We're going to lose a couple things. We'll have one less car. We'll leave. We'll, we, will may, we may have to move from this house on the hill back to the hood. But, but ultimately, brothers, it's our job to take care of our wives if they never worked another day. That's Bible. Second thing, husbands are to become their wives' protectors as it relates to forsaking their parents and, and, and making their wife their primary ministry. Now, unfortunately, we often think of a man as protector in the physical realm solely or primarily. But suppose you're married to a woman who has a black belt in martial arts. Suppose your wife is the vice president of the United States of America and she has her own security uh, uh, detail. She may not need, but she's not gonna need you. You may need her to protect you. She's got the black belt, you don't. She's got the security detail. Now, how can you protect someone that is perfectly capable of protecting herself and you, if necessary. I believe that God gives us an answer in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an un- according to understanding, showing honor to, your, to, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The Lord says, live with your wife according to understanding. Understand recognizing that she is the weaker vessel, not the lesser vessel. And we're not going to delve too deeply into that passage, but let me just share some things, how a husband has been called to protect his wife as the primary ministry of his life. First of all, a husband must protect his wife emotionally by being sensitive to her needs and stable in your own personal life. The way you protect your wife emotionally is to understand what her strengths are, what her weaknesses are, what her limitations are, when she's reached the boiling point, the breaking point. and And you, you should know that your wife needs your intervention, that you can protect her from being harmed in a way that will damage her. And so you need to be her protector emotionally. And you need to be her protector by being stable yourself. There are too many overly emotional men that can't make a sound decision under pressure. Your wife doesn't need you falling apart when things are going awry. And so you protect your wife knowing what her temperament is and intervening when it's necessary. And sometimes that simply means listening to her, holding her hand, sitting with her, stroking her back, uh, massaging her shoulders so that she can relax or helping her to identify, honey, you're getting to a point where you are, you are about to be overwhelmed. How do you know? Because you understand your wife. And so you ought to protect her emotionally. You ought to protect her by being stable in your own personal life as men. Husbands must protect their wives financially by making sound decisions for the well-being of their family. Sound decisions mean that God says you can't manage and lead in the church if you are a poor manager at home. And so we protect our wives financially by having a stable, productive, paying job. And not only a paying job, but we're not just settling for the only thing that we've always done, but we're always seeking opportunities for promotion and advancement for the betterment of your family. And so we need to protect our families financially. Uh, Don't be telling your wife, well, tell them I'm not home. You don't be telling your, your, your wife, you got to work a couple more jobs. We've we got to pay these bills off. No, if anybody's going to be working a couple more jobs to get things stable at home or to reduce expenses, you are to be that person as the husband who will make those tough decisions and intervene in such a way that your family is financially stable. I want you to know that a depressed man, a real man, is going to feel bad when he can't provide for his family. There's nothing more meaningful and purposeful in a man's life is when a man can do something for himself to take care of others. God created us as men to work. And so one of the ways that you're going to protect your wife is through financial stability in the marriage. And so protect her emotionally, protect her financially. Also, protect her romantically. How do you protect your wife romantically? By always courting her in order to win her heart again and again. Women need to be courted. Our wives need to be courted. Even though we have been married, some of us, for many years, we should be constantly thinking of ways to date and recreate that fire that was was in the marriage when we first said, I do. A protected wife feels that her husband is attracted to her for her unique beauty that his eyes can see. A woman who feels protected feels attracted to her own husband through his eyes. A woman that is happily married isn't interested in how other men see her. What matters to her is how her husband sees her. She only has to be beautiful for one person. So if you, make, if you look at your wife, and, the Bible says, and, and, and there's a saying that says, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, and it's really true. You ought to be able to look at your wife and see the beauty of who she is based on what God has revealed to you about her inner beauty as well as her external. I don't care how we change with age. There's something about a godly woman there's something about that inward adornment. In fact, I believe that God even, uh, we don't need plastic surgery to have an attractiveness that God will give a husband for his wife. When, he, when you look into her eyes, you see her as she was when you first married her. What matters to her is how her husband sees her. She only has to be beautiful to one person. Does your wife feel beautiful? Beautiful. Do you cause her by how you treat her as a female to feel like she's a woman who is treasured? Does your wife feel protected emotionally? Or is your marriage just routine? Are you just going through the motions? Is it a revolving door? Is it uh, the special occasions? Oh, it's Valentine's Day. Let me get the flowers. Oh, it's her birthday. Let me, or is, are you being intentional about about courting your wife in such a way that you cause her to feel beautiful. Because in your eyes, she really is. A husband must protect his wife physically. Love your wife in such a way that Christ died. The Bible says he loved the church so much that he died. And so a husband must be willing and ready to die for his wife in the same way that Christ died for the church. And what that means is the second gentleman... Uh, married to uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, if every security guard broke camp like the disciples left Jesus on the night he was betrayed, second gentleman needs to be standing up and taking that bullet for his wife. husband must protect his wife physically, willing and ready to die for her if need be. But if you're failing romantically, financially, emotionally, there's a good chance that your wife is not going to feel protected from from, from outside attacks, because God has designed your wife in such a way that she needs that enforcement from her husband. Somebody say amen. You're not only the protector of your wife and the provider of your wife in terms of forsaking mom and dad and, and, and becoming loyal as your transferred priority relationship, but the husband is the priest of his home. You become your wife's priest. Before Adam was given Eve, he had a personal, intimate relationship with God. He was a worshiper. Ladies, if you are considering a man that doesn't love God, he will never love you the right way. And so the first thing that you want to look for, aside from how does he manage money, because it goes back to how he loves God. What is your potential mate's relationship with Jesus Christ? Does he love him in such a way? that Christ is the most important person in life. Because if Christ is most important, he will love you in the right way. For husband is the head of the wife, the Bible says. Even as Christ is the head of the church, he, uh, head of the church his body and is himself its savior. Jesus aligned marriage in such a way that when a marriage is working the way that it is opposed to, the husband is the pastor of his home. He's the priest of his home. He's the one who filters what comes in and what goes out. He's the one who's making certain that his family is in a God- in a Bible-centered ministry, he is the one who's making sure that his wife and family is getting discipled. He's the one who's setting the initiative for prayer in the home. He is the one who's responding with the word of God when the house is under attack. You're not running to your wife and telling her, what do you think God is saying? No, the man who is a covering for his family, who is a priest, understands how to hear from God for his family. Because when you hear from God, you can have a vision for your family. And so you're the protector, the provider. You are the priest. You also are honoring God when you do those things. Somebody say amen. Protect her financially, romantically, physically. You're you're the priest but also your, your relationship, as I've already mentioned, she's your priority. Christ says, I have given you assignment, men, that when I return from my church, my bride, I want you to be able to present your wife a- 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 as a lamb, as a bride without spot or wrinkle. It is your job to help your wife reach her full potential in Christ. I want you to make your wife your best girl. I want you to make her the most important horizontal relationship that the Lord has given you. Somebody say amen. So the first thing is, make the instruction is, make your priority relationship your wife. Here's the fifth instruction. Leave to join to his wife. So we're we're forsaking our parents so that we can lead to be joined to our wives. And there's three parts to this. One is that marriage, when the Lord, the word join means to cleave, to stick as glue, to be permanent. And so God intended for marriage, the instruction is that marriage would be permanent, that it would never end in divorce. Not only was marriage intended to be permanent, but it was intended to be monogamous. For this reason, a man, a singular man shall marry a singular female, one wife at a time. The Bible doesn't support or teach polygamy or bigamy. A third thing, marriage is intended to be heterosexual, one man, one woman. He shall leave and be joined to his wife based on the gender identification that God has already determined. And so the goal of marriage is she's my priority, and I'm leaving without an exit clause, not until debt does us part or until I get, until you don't make me happy anymore, but I'm leaving my family, my, my, my relationship with my parents, in order to be with the woman that God has brought to me for the rest of my life. Here's the, third, here's the sixth thing. Stay with me. The two shall become one flesh the two shall become one flesh now what does the bible mean by oneness unity in marriage does not mean that a husband and wife start to look alike don't oh don't oh you look just like your wife that ain't a good thing unity in marriage doesn't mean oh she took my name that don't mean nothing we live in the same house we sleep in the same bed it doesn't mean that you both have matching, matching wedding bands. Or you come to church, she wear purple, you wear purple. That ain't necessarily you. you know, that may mean that's all you got to wear. Unity in marriage doesn't mean that you think the same, you want to do the same thing the same way all the time. But here's what unity means in marriage. And I want you to understand that a house that is divided cannot stand the most devastating impact on any marriage is when there's no unity between the husband and wife. Listen to what unity actually is. Unity in marriage occurs when a man and a woman submit to the Holy Spirit to fulfill their God-given roles in marriage in order to celebrate common interests and learn to live lovingly accepting our unique differences. I said a lot, but I'll repeat it, and I'll make this outline available to anybody that wants it. Unity in marriage occurs when a man and a woman submit to the Holy Spirit, come under the authority of the Holy Spirit, to fulfill God's given role in marriage. God's given role in marriage is not to make you happy. God gave Adam and Eve one to another to complete what he had already predetermined, and that was to be an offspring to produce kingdom children in the world. And so God's primary purpose for marriage is not happiness, but to produce kingdom children to bring his kingdom from heaven to earth. What that simply means is if you make your priority seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be happy in your marriage. The problem is we prioritize happiness and feeling good rather than prioritizing Making the kingdom first, filling, being filled with the Holy Spirit in marriage, and being able to celebrate things that you do share in common interests. We do like purple. We do like wearing the similar uh, wedding bands, and we do like driving in the same car. While at the same time, learning that you and your mate have unique differences, but being able to, as long as those differences are not sin are sinful to coexist with each other in such a way that you accept your mate just as God has made them in their, with their unique qualities. Now, what are some causes of division in marriage? Let me share, and I'm going to take my time and give you these. What are some causes for division in marriage? And someone says, marriage is beautiful. It's what we do to it that makes it a nightmare. One lady said, when I got married, I was looking for an ideal. Then it became an ordeal. And so now I'm looking for a new deal. Another person said, well, marriage is like flies on on, on either side of a screen door. The flies on the inside are those who are married. The flies on the outside are the ones who are not married. The ones on the inside are trying to get out. And the ones that are on the outside don't have sense enough to know that when they get on the inside, they want to get out. And, and, and I, I believe that one of the reasons that so many single men and women are choosing just to live together and not to get married, and, and, and why do we need to get married? Look, look, look at most marriages that they hear about and see, and, and TV d- gives a horrible uh, uh, description of ma- what married life is like. Cheating is the best way to enjoy uh, uh, the opposite sex based on the portrayals on, on, on social media. But so, so marriage has gotten a bad reputation, but why? Because many have lived in situations where their homes are divided. What causes divided houses? One, one of the primary reasons homes never become united and one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. You can never truly be intimate with someone that you haven't truly forgiven. If you're holding a grudge in your heart Are are you constantly rehearsing what someone has done to you? You will never give them a chance to try again. You will never give yourself a chance to really trust again. You will never allow yourself to be vulnerable. Just think about that. Suppose the Lord did that to us every time we failed him. Unforgiveness will keep your house divided. Jesus said if your home is divided, it cannot stand. Here's another cause, unhealed wounds from previous relationships. Somebody has hurt you in the past, and you never got over it. And so whoever you're married to, Is having to constantly deal with the baggage that you brought into a new relationship from your old wounds. The wounds are wide open. They've never been tended to. And the worst thing about it, everybody in the room knows the elephant is there. But you are totally, you've learned to live with dirty clothes. You've learned to live with your wounds. And you've learned to consider what God considers dysfunctional and abnormal. You've learned to accept it as the way it has to be if you're unhealed from wounds that have been inflicted upon you, you're not ready to get married. And if you don't address them, some of us need to be in serious biblical therapy because of how deep, the wound is we saw something, something was said to us, something was done to us, and, it, and, it, and it, it, it's like post-traumatic stress syndrome. It's there, and it affects the way you see men. It affects the way you look at women. There are unhealed issues in your life, and those issues keep you from allowing anyone from ever embracing you totally. You're divided in your home. You're giving the, giving the enemy the, the, the admonition and the material to destroy your marriage because your woundedness, you're bleeding all over the place. Here's another reason. Disrespect for God's order. God says, woman or wife, excuse me, woman or wives, submit. Come under the authority of your own husband. That's what God says. And God says, husband, lead your wife spiritually. But in our homes, that kind of leadership, that kind of following of the word of God. It's not occurring. And so we disregarded God's alignment, God's order, and we're listening to the world. I worked just as hard as him. I know more than I graduated. He didn't graduate. I could make it without him. I got just as much money and, and I'm still fine. I could get me somebody, but you will get somebody outside of the will of God because the Lord says, as unto me when you disrespect it and here's what we we talk a good game and we can pray down heaven and we think we can bring down fire from heaven and people get all excited and then we go home and we live like unbelievers because the word of god has nothing to do with how we assign, how we respond to his divine given assignment here's another reason selfishness born out of a, born out of spiritual immaturity there's so many undeveloped adults who have never grown up. They've grown tall, but they're not mature. And so they're swallowed up in insecurity, swallowed up in self-introspection and self-centeredness that they cannot think beyond their own personal needs. And many of the things that they are actually thinking that they need, they're not even needs, they're wants because they want to be affirmed by others because they have not learned how to be affirmed in Christ because we are accepted in the beloved. But that's not enough. We want people to accept us. And so when you're married to an immature person, a carnal Christian, there's going to be division in your home because they are not going to be able to hear the voice of the Lord as it relates to making spiritually informed decisions. Here's the final thing. Pride divides our home. And all of the four that I've already said could be summed up in one word. Pride that is often manifested through a spirit of self-righteousness that allows you to focus on the faults of your spouse while remaining blind to your own. you got a telephone pole in your eye. And here you're trying to do surgery on your spouse's eye who has a splinter. Jesus said, first remove, humble yourself and recognize that when you have a telephone pole in your eye, you're about to destroy something. You're about to do serious damage. Remove the plank. Remove the telephone pole from your eye. Then you can consider how to get the speck, the splinter out of your spouse's eye. Pride will make you think that you can do better than the husband that God gave you. The wife that God gave you, I could have done better. Man, I made a mistake. I wish I could do it over again. No, you can't do it over again. You need to do what God has told you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and humble yourself from that spirit of arrogance. Pride will divide your home. There are no perfect marriages. they are good marriages. Now, how, how does a divided home impact your marriage? It robs you of joy. There's no joy in your home. Your home is a war zone. You don't want to be home. (laughs) When it's time for you to go home, you drive around the block 10 times. I remember, uh, 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 I wonder why the men would always come and get drunk before they went home. They got drunk to go home. That doesn't mean that their wives were terrible. It could mean that they didn't know how to be good husbands. My point is that one of the things that division will do when, you, when your house is not unified, you will have no joy. Your home ought to be your sanctuary. It ought to be the place that you feel most celebrated and welcome. division will rob you. The devil is a lie. Why are you going to give him that kind of ammunition? Why are you giving the devil a foothold? Why are you allowing him to rob you? You Oh, Jesus is a servant of my life. Well, sure he is, but the evidence that he's strengthening your life is that there will be unity in your home. Do you have joy in your home? Is your home a pleasant place to go? Is your home a place where you can really shout and praise the Lord with your husband or your wife? It restricts you from freely reaching your full potential in the kingdom. As a wife and a husband, one of the things that happens when there's division in your home, you're going to be pulling, doing double time. And so instead of you accelerating and ascending, you, 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 the division will always be pulling you back, pulling you in the opposite direction. And so you cannot, and if a husband and wife, if you could think of this way, God joined the two that they might be one, that they may complete each other. Complete each other so that you can become everything God intended. And if if he didn't want your mate to help to complete you, you would have never been married. Marriage helps you to reach your full potential by becoming all that God wants you to be. But when your house is divided, it's like you're running with one leg. You're running with both hands tied behind your back. You're running, you're getting there, but you're killing yourself. So the devil uses division to restrict us. It also releases a seed of, a generation, of generational marital, di- marital dysfunction. I wanted to say that when, you, when your children grow up in a divided house, you are sowing a seed that will produce generational curses on your family. Your children will look at the way they watch marriage displayed, and if they're not spirit filled, they will repeat exactly what you did, and then their children will do the same thing. In many instances, they're unhappy, they're miserable in their home, and and sometimes they'll end up dissolving the marriage because of it. You're releasing seeds of generational marital dysfunction or curses. And here's the final thing God will remove his favor and protection from your marriage. When there's division, the favor of God, God can't, you, the top shelf blessing, you will never reach them. The gift that God has wrapped for you to open, but division will keep you. You've been praying and, and, and hoping for that whatever, financial blessing. Uh, you praying for your children to finally uh, uh, come and, 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 and follow the Lord. They won't follow the Lord because they're looking at you. And God said, I want to give you my full favor. I want to release to you uh, 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 my protection on your marriage. But I can't because you are operating as if I'm not on the throne of your marriage. I don't know about you, but I don't be miserable in my marriage. But I do know that when I surrender to the spirit of God and I recognize what his purpose is for me. And it starts with you, brothers. It starts with us. Look at what God is saying to you as as it relates to your responsibility. And then, wives, you need to look at yourself. Stop pointing the finger at your husband. Are you allowing the devil to use you to destroy your home and your children's homes? Let me finish with this. Number seven. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate or divorce. And we're not going to preach a whole sermon on divorce. We're going to finish with this. In God's original plan for marriage, divorce was never an option. The scripture actually adds later in the passage, but because of the hardness of the hearts of men, God gave permission for divorce. I want to say three quick things. Stay with me. Marriage, when God says, let no man separate or divorce, here's what he wants us to understand. And the instruction is that uh, God's original plan for marriage never to end. But here's, here's the point. Marriage is more than a ceremony for Snapchat. Did you see what they had on? Oh, my God. Look how they marched into the sanctuary. Man, did you hear the solo? soloist? I can't believe the train of her ground gown. It was so, oh, my goodness. No, marriage is more than a ceremony for Twitter. Marriage is more than a contract or a piece of paper. It's nothing but a piece of paper. Why you got to get married? No, marriage is a sacred, binding covenant between two people and God. God instituted the covenant. He created the covenant, the institution of marriage. And it, so it's a relationship between men, two, two people, a husband and a wife and God. And the only one, it says, let no one divorce what God has joined together. The only one who has the authority to give permission for marriage to end is not the husband and wife, it's God's word. You have to justify ending this thing if it is to come to an end. It has to be biblically based. Let no man divorce what God has joined together. Let me quickly share a quick, some quick things. What this does not mean, that if you choose someone without consulting God before you got married to them, therefore my marriage is invalid. I didn't pray. I didn't get counseling, so... Nope. Sorry. It doesn't mean that if I'm unhappily married, then God must not have joined me together with the person I'm married to. We we, we, we love each other, but we're not in love. Nope. Here's the third thing. If a person that I am married to chooses to disregard the marriage vows, I must remain in marriage. No, the Bible says that God hates divorce, but in that same verse in, 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 in Malachi chapter uh, 2, verses 14 through 16, he said, in that same verse, when he said, I hate divorce, he said, I also hate violence. And what God is saying is, yeah, it, it, he's not saying it's, it's okay for you to remain in a marriage where somebody is beating you and abusing you. In that passage, he's also saying, there's a divorce that I hate, the one that I don't sanction. I hate those divorces. And when you look at the context of that, they were divorcing their wives to be with other women, younger women, not because there was a biblical grounds for it. God says, I hate those divorces. But in his original plan, divorce was never, never in his original plan. Now, what does it mean to be an institution of marriage, a sacred covenant? Think of it in this way. When you sign a contract to get that car, now, uh, the covenant and the contract are different in this way. A covenant doesn't have to, do, you don't ever have to even see the person you sign the contract with. But a covenant is a relationship. It involves people. Now, let's say you sign a contract to buy a house with your buddy. And then somewhere along the line, your buddy decides to stop fulfilling his part of the covenant or the contract. And they, de- they, they default on it. Now, because they default on it, they say, well, I ain't paying no rent. I ain't paying no the rent. No, 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 no. The only one who has the authority to terminate the contract is the, is, is the judge who ultimately has the legal authority to say that the contract is null and void and one party is responsible for, for violating it. The judge, in the same way, the contract or the covenant between us and God when we get married, the only one who has the authority to break it, to end it, is the judge ordained it, the judge who ordained it. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we bow in your presence, oh God. I know I've said many things today, but Lord, ultimately, we just want to understand that we must follow your instructions to have a happy marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.